0: Hi everyone, I'm David Williams, president of strategy consulting firm, Health Business Group and host of the Health Biz Podcast, a weekly show where I interview top healthcare entrepreneurs about their lives and careers. If you like this episode, make sure to hit that like button and to subscribe. Well, my guest today is Gabriel Brambilla. He is founder and CEO of Alira Health. Gabe, welcome to the Health Biz Podcast.
1: (laughs) Ciao, David, thank you so much for having me here. Thank you. Excellent. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I've been uh, reading about the company and very interested to hear all about it. I want to start though with your your background and your and your upbringing, in particular. Hear about your childhood. If there are any uh, influences from your childhood that have kind of stayed with you throughout your career.
1: Yeah, maybe a couple of information about myself. So, as you can get from my accent, I'm originally from Italy. Congratulations for the pronunciation of my last name, <laughs> <Thanks>. Brambilla. <laughs> And I moved to the United States about uh, 13 years ago when, um, and I have five kids and wife here. And uh, in terms of my, of my education, I studied political science, so a very useless science. But it, it taught me how to understand very quickly that I need very smart people around me to, to build value and the company that we're building right now. I, I don't expect to be the, the most uh, intelligent person in the room at all. Actually, I want around me people that are a lot more intelligent than me. Uh, in terms of uh, my influence, uh, influences I had when I was a kid, uh, people say that I always use analogies connected to uh, sports and music. Yeah, And that's true. A lot of my speeches are connected to analogies with sports and music. That's because I. I played basketball when I was a kid for many years at the semi-professional level. And uh, I was playing the, the national team in Italy when I was 15. Nice. And then uh, I played drums with three bands. And so uh, I love to create some parallelism between uh, business and, and music. That's nice.
0: You know, now you just sort of glossed over that you have five kids. And I will point out that I think in Italy, the average is about 0.3. And I think there's a limit of one and a half. So maybe that's why you had to come to
1: the U.S. <laughs> That's true. I'm very unusual. I'm a very unusual Italian. Yeah. I have five kids. I cannot eat any wheat. Okay. So I cannot have pasta. I cannot have dairy. So think about a pizza. I yeah. cannot have pizza. Yeah. I'm very faithful to my wife. And usually they stay Italian, <laughs> you know. I
0: have no comment about and that. I
1: yeah. d- and I drive a Buick. Yeah which usually says, you know, Italian. You should drive a very fancy car. Yeah. No, sorry. Again. Yeah. No, nice. Then, so.
0: <laughs> all right. Listen. Well, if people it all just fit all into the into the cookie cutter stereotypes, it wouldn't uh, wouldn't be creating great companies. So, uh, so that's so that's where we are now. Thank you. So, what did you do in terms of your career? How did you how did you start off your uh, start off your career? i was trying to understand it from the LinkedIn profile, and I and it looks like you started Alira, was something else, came back to it. What, uh, what 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 was the start of your career like? Yeah.
1: So. First of all, uh, as a, I wanted to become a diplomat when I was uh, younger. And that's why I did political science, and then a master in a, international affairs. And then when I did for six months that uh, I was in the job, I found it was really boring and not very meritocratic. Yeah. So I called my dad and my dad was in pharma. And I said, dad, you got to save me here. Can you give me a job? Which he did. But he sent me to China yeah. for two years to do, to take care of a joint venture there with Shanghai Pharmaceutical, which is a big pharmaceutical company. Came back with my MBA. And after my MBA, I was hired by the predecessor as a company of Alira Health. It. The company was called CMC, Klaus Mikkelfelder Consulting. Mm-hmm. It was investment banking. And I remember when, I, when they came to my MBA to offer me the job, Everybody was saying, you should not work with them. They're too small. They were just 10 people. But I love what they offered to me. They offered to me not a, not a, a salary in a package. They offered for me I mean, a budget. Yeah. They told me, this is the budget. Go ahead and open up the Italian office. you got to be break even in six months. Spend the money as you want, but spend it wisely because if you don't have any more money in six months, you're out of the job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I picked that instead of uh, other big consulting firms. I know I see that you come from... BCG, McKinsey, LEK, yeah. so there were, those were the other alternatives I had, and I decided to go for this crazy one, it turned out to be a great decision, and then in uh, 2015, I decided to make an offer to buy through a leverage buyout with uh, with my partner from France, uh, from the founder, to buy CMC, and we bought it through a leverage buyout and made it Alira Health, and at that time, it was really tiny. It was like less than 30 people, and... Less than four million dollars in sales, and then in the last six years, have been a blast. Nice. So we've been growing a lot, for more than seven hundred now, and around hundred million dollars in sales. Yes.
0: You know, so I know, I, I know. I guess the Italians I know are kind of outliers. So another Italian colleague of mine and, and, and client is uh, Giovanni Colella. You know, if you know uh, Giovanni from uh, Ca- Castleville, now, but he was. Um, when he was growing up in uh, Italy, uh, this was more during the uh, the '70s. He told his dad he thought communism was good, so his dad sent him to the Soviet Union for a summer, you know, internship, and uh, that oh, that gosh. cured him better than uh, I think anything else, including going to uh, to China. For <laughs> <have> to check. <laughs> <laughs> so he's not; he hasn't uh, been a communist since that time. But in any case, uh, it sounds uh, it sounds very good. Now, I want to hear about kind of the, the role of Alira and and what you've done as the CEO and once you bought it out, but I also notice you, you have some board roles that you've done over time as well. How, how have you mixed that in? What else have you done besides uh, Alira?
1: Yeah. So uh, as for Alira, I became CEO when I bought the company, and since then I've been, I've been the CEO. But I got to tell you, in the last six years, probably every year, my job is changing. When you grow so fast from... 30 people to 700 in this uh, amount of time, you really have to adapt yourself to to the new role you're going to have as a CEO, right? Um, And that's an exciting part. But uh, Alira Health is also a venture arm called Alira Health Venture. We've done nine investments, and uh, I'm on the board of some of those companies we invested in, uh, more as guidance and mentor than anything else. These are startups. And the other one uh, board city that I'm proud of, I always like to do community work and uh, work for non for profit and I've been invited to be on the board of the biggest non for profit here in Metro West Massachusetts, which is SMOC, which is pretty sizable. It's managing more than $130 million of of subsidies and programs. Um, And uh, that's my way to be connected to the community and to do something that goes beyond the, the business work that I do every day. So those are my board. Uh, yeah, uh, what well, sounds
0: good. Yeah. So let's talk about Alira and what you're doing now, and you know what. What does the company really do? What's the What's the focus?
1: So the focus of the company is to provide a continuum of services and proprietary technologies to the life sciences sector. So we help pharmaceutical company or biotech companies or medical device company to accelerate and increase the rate of success of their development of their solutions and products throughout the whole continuum. The idea was to develop a a, a company that would be accountable at every turn of the development phase. So we start from regulatory and clinical trial management, market access, commercial, and we try to create a very strong glue and connection between all these services. And the very differentiating part of, of what we deliver is that we do this uh, through a very patient-centric approach, which sometimes is just you know marketing. Mm-hmm. For us, it's is an important thing. So we acquire technologies, four of them, that would help us to partner with patients throughout the whole continuum to deliver our services. So uh, it might be uh, a decentralized clinical trial platform that allow us to partner with patients in the delivery of certain type of clinical evidence. It could be a, a crowdsourcing platform. People say, why did you invest in a crowdsourcing platform in life sciences? Because one of the phases of development of a product, it's financing. So why don't we democratize also that part of research and we give people the possibility, patients, to invest in technologies they like? So again, partnering with patients to deliver better services to our clients. That's, that's what we do. We call it the mission of humanizing healthcare. That's what we mean for you. Got it. I saw
0: that because, you know, as you mentioned, it's pretty easy just to write out kind of patient centric, and I think everybody's written that down. Uh, I hadn't seen the terms kind of you know humanizing uh, healthcare uh, beforehand, but it's, it seems like a good uh, a good approach. And you know, do patients realize they're being partnered with? Do they feel more human when they're involved in something that Alira is doing?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question, and I think I have to say. COVID kind of gave us a very big push, David, because as I always say, before COVID, I never talked at my dinner table about trials or vaccines, or, and now I do it. And so as I'm doing it in my, in my family, everybody does it around the globe, and they, they feel more empowered about what it means to be involved in care. In understanding what is a drug, in understanding what it what it means to have a vaccine in your body, and, and that empowerment made a, a, a very big part of the population more interested in collecting and uh, data and providing data to the research community to do a better job with their developments. So I, I think that COVID uh, brought a lot of uh, a lot of, uh, of 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 issues and problems, and people a lot of people lost their life, but from that perspective made the patient more empowered uh, about their own care. And that helped us when we were talking to them, Say, now is your time, right? Uh, Download this app with us, collect this information that will help companies to improve their research path, to accelerate their research. And the most important thing is to have them make it as a partner, not just as a subject where you collect stuff. So you need to educate them. And that's what we do with our platforms, educate them on the value of their data, why giving a certain type of input might be valuable for a pharmaceutical company or a patient advocacy group, why understanding their patient journey is so key so that companies don't make mistakes uh, about the particular usage or adherence of a particular drug. Um, so that's, that's how we do it. Proof of it that we provide value to patients is that on one of our technology platforms called Has is probably the most famous one, We have about 160,000 active Mm -hmm. users, which is very unusual because for a decentralized clinical trial company, once you run a trial and the trial is done, the users are off the platform. They're not there anymore. Instead, our users, they want to keep on using the platform, the app. So all those, like 70% of those active users are coming from the subjects that were part of a study and they said, I love this app. It helps me manage my disease. Can I keep on using it? So if you go on the app store, you can see them. Epilepsy health storyline, cardiovascular app storyline, prostate cancer health storyline. These are all the different versions of the app. that helps them to manage their, their disease. Their is conditions. there a,
0: a business model for ELIRA Health from having those sort of sustained relationships? Or is that just like uh, a byproduct and it's just a side benefit of having participated in the trial?
1: But patients, uh... It depends on the sponsor if they want to remunerate the patient or not. It depends also on the type of the study and the regulations. For Alira Health, there are three major ways of uh, um, being remunerated, right? One is directly from the sponsor to run a study. Right? So it would be the pharma device company will pay for it. The second one is uh, in combination with patient advocacy groups, we develop data lakes and real-world evidence data lakes with our technology, and then we, together, sell out or uh, provide those data together uh, to the pharmaceutical community or to the device community. So we get a, it's, it's more of a data play, not really a service like the first one. And the third one is we do it by ourselves. So we don't do it with patient advocacy group, but we build data lakes on our own, uh, recruiting patients on our own in a particular rare disease or a, and we build registries. And then we sell that data or access to those patients. But again, patients have to be aware of all that the most important thing is transparency to patients. What does it mean for them to be part of and uh, using that app? The, when you unload, when you onboard on the app, you, you need to exactly understand what you're signing up for, and that's what we spend a lot of our time.
0: What is the kind of the, the attitude among those patients who are participating in, in the clinical research uh, these days, and then maybe staying for the ongoing part of the community? You mentioned how during you know during the pandemic i noticed this too suddenly everybody's an expert on clinical trials and you know what it means yeah. to have one type of approval versus another and you know it's like kind of amazing um to uh, yeah. to hear that but how but it certainly raised the awareness um among patients and think about it yes. and so how how is somebody thinking about it as they're participating in a trial these days let's say not for covid but let's say for a rare disease yeah
1: everybody participates for Different, different reasons. Somebody maybe because they were touched by a particular condition in their family and they want to contribute to research somehow. Um, some, some others just because they have the condition and they want to use the, the, the app to be able to manage the condition. Um, some others just because our younger generation and they believe that they should help our research uh, providing data. So there are different, different, uh, and it really depends the age and the and the typology of uh, of users. It really depends yeah. on the disease. Like for example, if you think about I am I suffer from irritable bowel syndrome. Basically, whenever you have some stomach ache, which the doctor doesn't know yeah. what is connected to, it tells you you got IBS. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the, it's the trash can. <laughs> of, um, and you have a lot of young people on, on that, for example, because it's a common uh, issue that a lot of people are having, intolerances to different type of food and everything. Uh, whereas if you think about CNS, you have to have a yeah. little bit older uh, population and they want to be involved just to understand and pre- predict if something is going on with their cognitive or, or, or something is going on with their nervous system, right? So dif- different different phases, different profiles based on the condition,
0: You know, it's certainly been um, an interest when you talk about uh, patient centered trials. The FDA wants to see this. And I think when the pharma companies are now going uh, to FDA to get their protocols approved, they will get asked, you know, what has been the patient uh, input into this? And they have their own self interest as well about, you know, what's the burden going to be on a patient to participate in a trial? It'll affect recruitment and retention and and so on. But there's also uh, kind of other, you know, forms of data that the patient isn't supplying you know, directly like typing something in or giving somebody a response, but that you could do from, let's say, a wearable device or, or sensors. And and how do you see, do you incorporate that into what you do with Alira today? And how do you see that changing?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, all our technology platforms that are based on the EPRO, electronic patient reported outcome, they are functioning also with uh, API, with IoT, uh, so Internet of Things, so wearables that aren't directly connected. Those tend to be less, um, subject to mm-hmm. the user, right? So they're just take, they're yeah. taking directly information without the user having to, to filter them. Um, it really depends on the TA and the conditions you're trying to manage. Uh, obviously, there is a lot around cardiovascular, yeah. as, you might, as you might know. There is a lot about in dermatology. Whenever you have a, a good development of IoT mm-hmm. in telemedicine, is where then they start also to be implemented right. in clinical research, right? Because you want that to be proven in real world life and then you're using them also on the clinical research side. So that's, that's for sure. And it's growing, yeah? is the growing uh, market. But I think that the first thing is really to treat the patient with empathy. They are human beings. And you might discard that, but there are a lot of situations where the, the device, for example, the drug, might work from a mechanical yeah. and chemical perspective, but the patient is not... Still in it. He's not still in a condition where he's enjoying his or her life. And I think that is important to log in and to connect and to understand that. Because obviously you want an active, a patient feel, feeling better and active in the society. Uh, you just don't want to fix from a chemical and mechanical point of view the issue. And those are the important soft, as they call yeah. it, I don't think they're soft, they should be hard, but point of uh, feedback that you want to, 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 to collect to make sure there is real effectiveness in the use of a drug or a device um, in the life of a patient. Yeah.
0: So there's been a lot of kind of, evolution and rapid growth over the last few years. As you look ahead, the next five years or so, what you know, what do you see coming in terms of the evolution of your space?
1: But I think that um, one thing that we are trying to ride as a big trend, and probably maybe we are a little bit too soon in doing that, but we want to be on the forefront of it, is. Uh, is the empowering, the understanding that patients feel empowered and they understand yeah. the value of that data. And they understand how high quality the data they provide have to be, right? Right now, most of the high quality data comes from the care providers, yeah. from claim data, from payers, it comes from the hospitals. The patient data usually is seen as, oh, these are not high quality data. Now, patients are getting a lot more educated on how to input the data, how to get data. The wearables are he- yeah. helping a lot with that, right, too. And so you're gonna have more move towards understanding the longitudinal data on a patient, so throughout the whole, the, the whole condition he has, that is not only connected to the claim data on the provider's data, but it's really coming directly from the patient. Uh, and nobody else can understand better the, the longitudinal data of a patient than the patient himself or herself, right? You, you follow the patient, it gives you the information you know exactly where, what is happening to him or to her. And you don't have to put a puzzle together with uh with the claim data or many things so mm-hmm. that's where i think it's going and sooner or later the, the patients will realize yeah. i want to get paid for it <laughs> so that's uh, the blockchain um uh cryptocurrency all the things that are going to grow and say "Oh, now guys i'm in charge of my data but i want yeah. to be remunerated for it so i think there's going to be a right. market right. for it sounds soon. good yeah.
0: <laughs> now i wanted to ask you i saw an announcement about an acquisition of red crow maybe you talked about this a little bit before i referred to it but what What is that and why, why buy it?
1: So RedCrow is, is one of the acquisitions that we've made that they tell me I'm, I'm crazy, <laughs> why you do that. Uh, I mean, you were a, yeah. a strategic consultant before, so you might understand the complexity of adding to a clinical research business, a crowdsourcing sure. platform, FINRA regulated, and SEC, right? So, well, why, are you, why are you doing that? And again, in response to the same uh, mission I told you at the beginning, the democratization of life sciences research, the humanization of, of life sciences research. How can I empower patients to be an active part in the financing phase, yeah. not only in the clinical, in the real-world evidence, in the commercial, but in the financing? You do it through a crowdsourcing platform. Um, and that's why we bought it, because that's the way for us to involve patients in the financing world, too. Um, and that's people say it's very forward-looking but a little crazy but yeah hey, the acquisition is going well they're getting a lot of attention it's, great. So. it's like
0: not as crazy as having a sixth child or something like that so
1: <laughs> hey okay we, we stopped working right. on that five is okay five is very <laughs> good so
0: our last question i have for you is about whether you have any time for reading if there's any any books that you might recommend to our listeners and viewers or and any that you might recommend that we stay away from
1: I'm not a big. I have to say that's one thing that I'm not very good at. I'm not a big reader, and I always actually. My wife tells me, "Gabriela, you you know less amount of words and terminologies yeah. than our kids." <laughs> it's true, actually. <laughs> I should read a lot more. What I can suggest to people, though, and um, um, try try to really be selective on what you read on the internet. Um, and where the source of where you, you read information from. For example, the thing about empowering patients we discussed before is a double-edged sword, as you were saying, David, because people start to believe on everything they see on the internet. And it's very easy to say, this is scientific information or evidence, and then you look at the references and the references are crap, sorry for the word. So always try to keep uh, a very strong, diligent eye on what you're reading on the internet, especially around healthcare uh sadly is becoming a a play of aggressive marketing and aggressive campaigns and so you don't have to believe everything you read and you need to go at the scientific level and understand resources and the references in terms of book i always like uh historical books and they're all in italian (laughs) so i don't know how to suggest those for for an english (laughs) you can suggest people the writer is called manfredi manfredi is the writer very good uh history books, but I don't know if they're Okay. All right. Well, listen, it's a reason
0: for people to learn Italian. It can suggest that they do that and then they can read it and see if it was all <laughs> worth it.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Well, great. Well, my guest today is Gabrielle Brambila, founder and CEO of Alira Health. Gabrielle, thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Biz Podcast.
1: Thank you for inviting me, David. It's been a
0: pleasure. You've been listening to the Health Biz Podcast with me, David Williams, president of Health Business Group. I conduct in-depth interviews with leaders in healthcare business and policy. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite service. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe on your second and third favorite services as well. There's more good stuff to come, and you won't want to miss an episode. If your organization is seeking strategy consulting services in healthcare, check out our website, healthbusinessgroup.com.